Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. We open up tonight's edition of the Night Shift, the MI6 Sports Network's late night sports talk show. Cal McClurk, folks, joining you for a solo performance right now on the night as uh, Isaiah Leung has the night off after uh, going out for a a work event this evening with the Oakland A's and, of course, his fellow co-workers. Though, folks, we again are following a developing story in the NBA following the conclusion of tonight's game between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets, a source close to ESPN sources, Malika Andrews, and also uh, Tim Bontemps, has uh, put out a uh, update to a story that we have been following before the program went on air tonight that a Boston Celtics fan who allegedly hurled a water bottle towards Nets player Kyrie Irving following the game tonight at the Garden uh, as he was leaving the court uh, following Brooklyn's victory over the Celtics has in fact been arrested and per other reports, Uh, A league source also tells ESPN that that fan could be facing a lifetime ban from TD Garden as the water bottle that was hurled Irving's way nearly missed his head. He was walking towards the Nets tunnel following his 39-point performance, which helped Brooklyn get a 3-1 lead in the series over the Celtics. When uh, Irving was asked about the incident, Irving says that you can see that people just feel very entitled out here. They paid for their tickets great. I'm grateful that they're coming in to watch a great performance, but we're not uh, but we're not at the theater. We're not throwing tomatoes at, and other random stuff at the people that are performing or per or that are performing. Close quote. A TD Garden spokesperson said via a statement following the conclusion of the game tonight as well that we will uh, support and provide assistance to Boston police at this incident. As the incident is currently under review, we have zero tolerance for violations of our guest code of conduct, and the guest is subject to a lifetime ban from TD Garden, close quote. This does, though, folks, uh, become, or uh, still, though, is part of this ongoing domino effect, uh, domino effect, as, in fact, fans have been brought back into NBA arenas, though, in the most recent event, and a slew of ongoing issues and incidents of fans throwing items or hurling uh, bodily fluids towards players. This also comes on the heels, as we know, of uh, of Wizards guard Russell Westbrook being uh, pelted by a carton of popcorn dumped on him by a fan in Philadelphia at Wells Fargo Arena when he was walking through a tunnel at Wells Fargo Center last week. Also, Hawks guard Trey Young was spit uh, was spat upon by a fan inside of Madison Square Garden. And also, T. Uh, Morant, the father of Grizzlies guard John Morant, said that, fe- uh, that several fans in Salt Lake City had directed racial slurs at him and his wife while attending the game at the Vivint Smart Home Arena. And while the bottle was thrown Sunday night, Irving and his teammate Tyler Johnson immediately stopped and looked up into the stands with Irving decline to give the specifics on the back and forth. Irving would also add on to um, his uh, quote by saying that you're seeing a lot of old ways come up. It has been that way in history in the terms of, of entertainment performers and sports for a long period of time and just underlining racism and just treating people like they're uh, in a human zoo, throwing stuff at people, saying things. There's a certain point where it gets to be too much. And also as well, again, folks, we are following that story again per reports gathered uh, from ESPN sources, both Malika Andrews and Tim uh, Bontemps, who've been following this situation somewhat closely over the past couple of hours. But again, to reiterate, a Celtics fan who hurled a water bottle in the direction of Kyrie Irving following the uh, game on Sunday 
has in fact been arrested and also per a TD Garden spokesperson, that fan is also sh- uh, subject to a lifetime ban from all events at the Garden is also, as we have said though, folks, this is on the heels though of three other incidents though involving uh, NBA players, uh, again, having some spats with uh, NBA fans. But again, we'll keep you folks posted on that story as in fact, um, this, uh, as in fact, our show goes on. And in fact, we have more time to get to more of those um, incidents going on. And also as well, uh, at this rate, James Gonzalez pops from the great point. Maybe fans should not have been brought back as of yet. I do believe, James, now I don't know the full scope of this uh, story here, but I do believe though, but I heard, or heard a story, I should say, that uh, yesterday, per uh, I believe uh, one of the stations I listen to frequently here in San Diego on Rock 105.3, that apparently the Jazz have already come out and said, we're not letting anybody back inside a Vivint Smart Home Arena because of this incident. So I think it may be, it may in fact, though, be about fans being back too early, though. But I do think that while it's been great, though, having uh, fans back, though, but once more, we're kind of, again, having to kind of cross that line, though, in regards to, you know, uh, that player and fan uh, interaction, again, kind of coming back to fruition after a year and a half of not being able to have that sort of interaction, good or bad. I also, folks, want to read this quote, though, uh, put out courtesy of ESPN as well. Uh, this comes in from uh, from Kevin Durant um, about the uh, spat or the incident tonight. Kevin, uh, uh, Kevin Durant, when asked tonight, he says, quote, unquote, we are not in the circus. Your mother would not be proud of you throwing water bottles at basketball players. Grow the bleep up and enjoy the game. It's bigger than you, close quote. But somewhat, though, I think, uh, everyone, I don't want to put, you know, blame this on the venues for allowing fans back. Because I think, like I said, though, folks, last night, the Boston Bruins played the first NHL game in 14 months at full capacity. Not with, you know, reduced capacity. Yeah, there were some tarps still up, though, by the bench area. But it was a full house, though, at TD Garden, though. And I'm sure it was the same way tonight, though in Boston for the Celtics game. But here we go once more at this rate, though, in regards to, uh, you know, players and fans, once again, uh, going the route, though, of that. But again, folks, we'll keep you posted about that if anything more comes out. But once more, as a reminder, but again, the uh, Celtics, again, um, and some uh, minor hot water here after, again, a fan was seen uh, hurling a water bottle in the direction of Kyrie Irving following Brooklyn's decisive 141-126 victory on Sunday, has been arrested and also... Uh, per a TD Garden spokesperson, uh, per the reports gathered from ESPN and other league sources, that the fan is also subject to a potential lifetime ban from TD Garden as well. Uh, some more thoughts real quick about this as well. Uh, James says, wow, about that Jazz decision. And also our good man, Brandon Herrera from Coast to Coast Entertainment says, Cal, fans need to grow up. You know, I... Brandon, I agree. And I think, though, that while people probably have their thoughts about Kyrie Irving and how he carries himself, though, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I think, hit the nail right on the head, though. Yeah, it's nice to have the fans back, though. But let's remember, though, these guys are human. You may not like them because of what they do on the court, what they say off the court about certain issues that you probably don't see eye to eye with, though. But they're human just like us, though. And I think that Naomi uh, Osaka has, you know, uh, over in tennis, she has her own little thing right now where she's not talking to the media, much like Kyrie Irving was not going to do this season. She's, you know, uh, she's been fined. She might be facing a potential default by the French Open for not talking to the media. But that we as sports fans forget that these players, you know, these athletes, you know, that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're big name celebrities, they're big name you know, uh, that we all know either we, we love them or we love and hate them or we hate them, but regardless that we know about them, 
but they are a human like us. They do, in fact, you know, they, they have families, they have feelings, they have lives. But let's not, you know, let's not ruin it for everybody here in Boston. I know, of course, that, this, that that's a town that lives and dies with their sports franchises. But let's not stain the reputation of the fans that are just now being able to go back to live events across the country. Again, you guys literally last night had the first professional NHL hockey game played at 100% capacity. Don't ruin it for the rest of your fan base in Boston. I know I'm probably, you know, speaking on deaf ears right now, but let's not ruin this for everybody else because of these incidents. And I also agree, though, or think that perhaps at the NBA, though, that they have tried their best, though, but I think more needs to be done, though, to perhaps keep these guys, you know, uh, away from the crowd, away from what's gone on, of course, in regards to uh, these incidents. But again, we'll keep an eye on that, folks. Not too much of a big, big ordeal, but again, uh, once more, the uh, Celtics, again, uh, due to the nature of a fan throwing a water bottle in the general direction of Kyrie Irving, uh, per reports, again, arrested and, again, could be facing a potential ban uh, from all events, or at least from perhaps Celtics games at TD Garden in uh, down in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Casey is asking, so Cal Jazz are going to go with no fans rest of the way? Casey, I didn't really hear the whole clip or he'll hear the whole story but I believe what I had gathered is that they're going to go at least for the remainder of the first round, I think, without spectators. I think that, you know, and, 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 and uh, I think we all know everybody, it just takes one person, one bad apple to ruin it for the rest of all of us. And here, one person who screwed up in, you know, in Salt Lake City has ruined it for the Jazz fan base, who, again, will see their number, you know, who's not going to be able to see, their, uh, see the number one seeded ball club in the uh, NBA's Western Conference you know, play with, with spectators because of one fan's utter stupidity. So, again, we'll see how things do, in fact, go at this rate. Also, James Gonzalez says that these fans doing bad things spoils it for us good fans. Again, and, and like I said, though, James, I hope and pray that just that this one lunatic's, you know, mess up here doesn't ruin it for the rest of the Celtic fan base. And for that matter, Bruin fans, who, again, we'll get a, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to, of course, see uh, their team play game two. And again, as we said, though, that they are, in fact, uh, that last night was the first uh, NHL game played at full capacity for the Bruins versus the Islanders last night. Christy Wilson jumps in to say that idiots run, uh, ruining things for those of us who generally enjoy live sporting events. Taylor Ogata says that they need to step up security be, uh, beyond the metal detectors at each entrance. I do, in fact, think, though, Taylor, maybe much like what we see, though, after college football games or NFL games. You need to have some very, you know, high-ranking police officials, I think, or even, you know, maybe not the National Guard or the local or like, you know, or, or the state guard, but like high-ranking police officers or the sheriffs kind of in a way following these guys through the locker room, regardless if it's with the training staff or they've been ejected from the ballgame, they need to get, I think, some better protections. I think, I think we know, though, of course, that sometimes when guys get kicked out of a ballgame, that, you know, fans will run down to the tunnel, you know, and point and jeer and, you know, say, you know, you suck and stuff like this. But again, you know, that fine line, Taylor, I talk about this a lot, though, about famous conduct, that fine line can't be crossed. You know, I mean, I generally, I know this probably will sound stupid to you guys, but I really don't jeer or don't, you know, boo nowadays with the opposition, mainly because of my job security. But I mean, yesterday I had a, I had a little bit of fun just telling a guy on New York City FC at the game I went to yesterday, you know, hey, I got it. And the guy screwed up with the ball and LAFC took possession, you know, something like that to kind of be, you know, somewhat in a way, you know, having some fun. 
But again, not going to that line, though, where things could get very out of control, though. Again, I think, though, when fans stoop down to the personal level, you know, making it personal, you know, whether it, you know, maybe in Kyrie's case about, you know, maybe some racism or some slurs or some, you know, foul language. Okay, maybe that probably is where you have to kind of back off. But I do think that Taylor's right, though, that they perhaps just need to see uh, probably have a bit more of a better uh, stringent uh, security presence around the teams, both home and away at games, especially with how we've seen uh, these incidents uh, going on uh, in the NBA, at least recently. Uh, James also says, I don't like Kyrie's actions either or his words, but I'm not throwing things or insults at him. Or again, as we said, though, James and Sally, I think, though, sadly, sometimes I think it also boils down, though, too, to the city, though, that they're playing their games in as a away opponent. Obviously, Boston's a very sacred NBA town, L.A., Chicago. You know, there's certain markets that, of course, you know, that there's a fan base that obviously despises organizations. And also, I think there was well that with the building rivalry between Boston and Brooklyn, it kind of, I think, boils over. And, and uh, hopefully, though, that cooler heads prevail. Casey King also says, Cal, these fans remind me too much of the Vancouver Canucks as they throw beer at opposing teams' fans. I had beer thrown on me at a game a few years ago when I went to see the Kings play Vancouver in Vancouver and had beer thrown on me again after the Kings beat them. The Canuck fans have been doing that for many, many years. You know, I thankfully, Case, have not seen too many instances at NHL games. Considering the fact I've gone to a number of Ducks-Kings games, I've not seen a lot of bad blood boil over. And I'm actually kind of, you know, and I applaud both teams for actually, or both uh, fan bases, maybe a couple of like bad eggs, but nothing too serious. But I think, like I said, though, Casey, when you go to certain games, and also I think, though, if it's, if it's especially though, the playoffs, when things get magnified by a thousand, that's where things get very, very out of control. And also Christy Wilson says that uh, my favorite wrestling promotion, All Elite Wrestling, just held their first pay-per-view event tonight in front of a full crowd for the first time in months. Great to hear that. And also, uh, Brandon Herrera also says, just remember the fight in Detroit, a.k.a. the malice at the palace. James also says, uh, James also says, I just boo my own team when they play uh, bad or uh, when they play bad or they make a bad play. I mean, I think a lot of times that happens, James, too, especially like in an NBA game or a basketball game when your team is only scoring like, you know, 30 points and you boom off the floor. Christy Wilson also says, I've gotten a little bit mad at my team when they made a bad play, but I don't boo them entirely or take it to a lower level. And also James says, I'm truly concerned whenever a player is hurt, no matter who it is, clap when they get up is all that I ask. I cannot agree any further, but once more, folks, before we move on here again, as mentioned, but once more, again, the uh, NBA having another uh, spat, sadly, with uh, fans crossing that line after a Celtics fan was seen throwing a water bottle in the general direction of Kyrie Irving after the game tonight between the uh, between the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. To the NBA scoreboard, though, to kick off tonight's night shift program after the developing story, the Atlanta Hawks hosting the New York Knicks tonight from State Farm Arena down there in Atlanta, Georgia, The in, in, uh, and tonight. The Atlanta Hawks are now a game away and a win away from round two as they knock off the Knicks tonight at home. 113-96 Atlanta over New York tonight from State Farm Arena. The Knicks, though, a very good game, though, just fell a bit short, though, tonight, uh, led tonight by J uh, by Julius Randle, who had 23 points in his fall game. R.J. Barrett, 21 points, and also Derrick Rose chipped in 18, while Obi Toppin chipped in 13 off the bench, as did, as did Alec Burks, who chipped in 12, though, while the Hawks, though, had a very balanced scoring attack tonight as four of their five starters were in double figures tonight. J uh, John Collins, 22 points, Clint Capella with 10, Trey Young, though, with 27 points, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Chips in 12, while Danilo Gallinari was uh, 
uh, chipped in 21 points, was also 8 for 8, as was John Collins from the free throw line as Atlanta's team was 26 of 28 from the charity stripe tonight in this game over Atlanta. As again, the Hawks now go up three games to one over the Knicks going into game five back uh, at the Garden in New York City. You know, folks, Atlanta, I think, I, I don't want to say they have it in the bag, though, but that Atlanta, I think, is about to, you know, kind of pull off that first upset again, four versus five. You know, I think that Trevor Williams has said it right, though, in regards to, you know, that the four and five matchup is so close in with how the teams are. But that Atlanta, I think, though, they've been getting contributions from everybody across the board. I'd say I'd say all series. Again, I, I don't know if I'm really, you know, speaking of the gospel here. But I do think, though, that Atlanta, though, with Trey Young, again, having that great first game, though, and, of course, they end up, uh, you know, ha having the uh, Knicks tie the series, is that I think ever since game two, into game three and game four, that Atlanta kind of saw that they were kind of in a bit of a sticky situation being, you know, one game tied at one. But it seems like, though, but since then, and with these last two wins, though, it's been a better balanced scoring attack for the Atlanta Hawks. Let's just kind of go through the box score again real quick. Collins, 22 points, 6 of 10 shooting, 2 of 3, 8 of 8. Uh, uh, Capella, 10 points, 4 of 6, uh, no threes, and then 2 for 4 from the free throw line. Trey Young may have struggled a little bit today, though. 9 of 21, 4 of 14, 5 for 5. 27 points, though, still for Trey Young. Even then, though, with a bad shooting night, though, the night, though, still. Even then, though, at this rate, Trey Young still finishes plus 17. I mean, that, that's pretty good, though, when you're having a very bad night shooting the basketball and you're still able though, to finish in, a, you know, in the positive figures, though, in plus minus. But then Bogdanovich is an absolute beast from beyond the arc. Four of 11, four of nine. No free throws, but also, again, was uh, had 12 points. But again, he's plus 29 in that efficiency sta uh, stat for Atlanta. We're with the Knicks, though, tonight. A bit of a tough stretch, though. And I think that was well that probably, uh, I don't know about you folks out there, I'm a little bit, you know, scratching my head a little bit, uh, a little bit about Todd Gibson and Reggie Bullock starting this game. I don't know really how to feel about this because Bullock did not score any points today. Uh, went 0 for 4 and 0 for 7. It was also minus 16 tonight and plus minus. And then Taj Gibson can only get you six points to start, though. I really wonder, though, if Tom Thibodeau goes to the well and changes his lineup for game five coming up back at the Garden. Because I don't know if you can, I don't know, though, against Atlanta as well, if they're hitting their shots. You can't afford, I think, to have two players combined for six points and one player gets shut out in 34 minutes. Reggie Bullock plays 34 minutes and does not score a single basket. In this ball game, plus a turnover, two assists, four rebounds. So again, folks, give me your thoughts here more. So if you're the Knicks right now, do you keep that same uh, that same lineup and hope that they get going, or do you perhaps go the route though, or do you go the route though of changing up this lineup? I just don't know though right now if you can rely on Bullock and rely on Gibson, who did not give you much in this game tonight, and only get six points. I mean, I know of course that Toppin had 13 points, Burks had 12. Do you perhaps, though, with, you know, folks, give me your thoughts here. With, you know, one game away from elimination, if you're Tom Thibodeau, do you keep the same lineup as tonight, or do you go the route of trying your best to change it up like you have to win this game? I mean, obviously, you have to win the game, otherwise you're going to be gone and out of the postseason. But I do think, though, that with tonight's performance, though, I would tweak the lineup a little bit. Maybe give Toppin a chance to start somewhere. Maybe move somebody uh, from a spot to a different spot in the in the lineup, though. But we'll see what happens. But again, it is Atlanta over New York tonight, 113-96 in favor of the Hawks 
over the New York Knickerbockers from State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Plenty of thoughts here tonight at this rate. Uh, Brandon says, Cowan is going solo. Yes, sir, I am going to be going solo tonight uh, because of Isaiah not being here. And uh, you know what? Why not? I mean, I'd, I haven't been able to host any of these programs for a long time, so I'll take it while I can. James also says, you have to think the series is over at least in six. I would probably say six, James. I think that if the Knicks can battle back and get game five, though, Atlanta and that crowd and, that, and the energy from that arena is going to be probably in their corner. I kind of like Atlanta in six right now. I'll probably agree with you at that at this rate. Uh, Taylor also says that if the Thrashers didn't uh, play like that, they wouldn't have moved to Winnipeg. I do, in fact, agree that agree with that. But sadly, you know, Atlanta failed once and then failed twice. Sadly, with the NHL, James also says that uh, also says that the Hawks crowd was amazing and no incidents, just pure celebration. Got to love seeing that. And again, a, a huge crowd down there at State Farm Arena. In ATL, James also says that the Hawks have so many shooters, what the Knicks really need. I think, though, James, where I probably go with my question, though, about do you keep the same lineup for the Knicks tonight or do you change it? I think right now you have to find a way to, to get bodies on guys who have had big games. Obviously, young, you probably have to double team, maybe even throw a triple team at him, or you got to at least contain him. I think if the Knicks can somehow keep Trey Young at bay in game five, and like I said, though, as well, though, got, uh, everybody, Teams can't keep this kind of shooting up for an entire series. You know, maybe for one game. I don't think, though, that that uh, New York uh, can really stop Trey Young, though. But they can stop Trey Young, though. They'll, they'll win game five. We'll see how things go. Also, Casey says that, man, I had the Knicks in seven. But, man, the Hawks are looking good. And it looks like they may, in fact, pull the series off. Again, we'll see, though, Case. I do like Atlanta's chances. But, again, going, excuse me, going back to New York, though. We'll see. It's, it'll be a very interesting storyline, though, to see uh, how uh, how this happens. Though New York, I think they'll have to get off to a hot start. And I think though, again, they'll have to find a way, Casey, to contain Trey Young. If they can't contain Trey Young, they're in deep, deep trouble. James also says that man, Nate McMillan, has done a great job since he took over in the ATL for Flo uh, for Lloyd Pierce. I think James, regardless of how Atlanta season goes. That interim tag on uh, for McMillan is going to be gone goodbye, and he'll be the new guy in charge of the Hawks for the remainder or uh, for the uh, new or the uh, head coaching position for the Atlanta Hawks. James also says that Julius Randle has to be put on a milk carton. The guy has been missing this series. And here, though, James, he wins the Most Improved Player Award. And sadly, sometimes when you win those awards, it kind of goes up here, and it kind of affects the game as well. And James further adds on that hopefully the uh, Garden crowd can give the Knicks a lift. Change the lineup a bit with new blood starting the game with defense from the start. I like the idea. As I said, though, again, James, I think you really have to clamp down on Trey Young. If you don't clamp down on Trey Young, you are in for an extremely long night at home in game five. But once more, we'll see, though, what Tom Thibodeau likes to do. But again, it is Atlanta over the Knicks, 113-96. The uh, Hawks now leave a series three games to one, heading into game five back at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Back, folks, at the game that we broke up at the top of the show, but once more again, everybody, with that whole uh, ordeal with the uh, Celtics, uh, Celtic fan, uh, again, arrested for throwing the water bottle in the direction of Kyrie Irving after the ball game. The Nets get the win on the floor, though, 141-126. The Nets uh, hold off the Celtics and now take their own three games to one lead, though, after a monstrous night from four of their five starters. Kevin Durant leading the way, though, with 42 points. 14 of 23 of 3 and 11 of 11 from the free throw line in the ballgame. 
while uh, Joe Harris adds 14. Again, Kyrie Irving with that aforementioned 39 points, and James Harden adds 23 as well in the game uh, for the Nets, while the Celtics saddle with a hard, uh, with a, a tough defeat, and uh, and even so again, but James uh, Jason Tatum again in a uh, losing effort, 40 points in the game, while Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart and Evan Fournier combined for 16 points apiece. But again, the Celtics now with their backs to the wall after faltering 141-126. And again, folks, I don't know if there really has been someone more critical and perhaps a bit, you know, overzealous or perhaps a little too negative on this Brooklyn ball club than yours truly. Because I think a lot of you out there, though, share the same sentiments that I shared or still share about would this, you know, big three in, in uh, Brooklyn mesh and would they be able to get along, put the egos aside, not throw Steve Nash under the bus. And so far, though, Brooklyn is uh, Brooklyn is making a lot of people, myself included, eat their words about how in fact they played so far. And I know, and I know, and I know, I also kind of bagged on the Nets though about you know can they keep this hot shooting going though? Uh, yes. Uh, once more again, Kevin Durant forty two points, Joe Harris fourteen points, Kyrie Irving thirty nine points, and also James Harden with twenty three points. Brooklyn again, I believe right now that the entire Eastern Conference uh, playoff field is going through Brooklyn because about how, in fact, that this team is impossible to guard. I mean, how in the world does a team on the opposite side of the floor try to put, you know, try to stack their bot, you know, stack their players up and guard the likes of Durant and Irving, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, James Harden. I mean, that starting five is just absolute, is, you know, that starting five is beyond insane between Durant playing power forward, Griffin playing power forward, Joe Harris is your is your small forward, Irving, uh, your PG, and then of course James Harden, your shooting guard, and all three and all in the entire starting five at or above plus figures again. Durant plus three, Griffin plus twelve, Harris plus seventeen, Irving plus fifteen, Harden plus eight, uh, beyond imaginable. But again, and again though, folks, I mean I know I've said it several times though, but Brooklyn just seems to find a way though to hit triple digits triple digits almost every single night though. And again, I think it just mainly boils down though to that there's no way right now for a team to lock these guys down. Boston has had no luck stopping this Brooklyn offense. Yeah, they got one game, uh, you know, one win, but it's impossible still though right now to try to find a way to contain this, you know, highly efficient and high octane offense for Brooklyn. But again, though, Jason Tatum, I got to give the guy a heck of a lot of credit though. Again, he puts up 40 points, but again, no other help. Again, Langford has nine points. Tristan Thompson has five points. Smart has 16. Evan Fournier chips in 16. But again, not having uh, uh, but not having Jalen Brown, though, really, I think, is hurting this Boston ball club, though. And again, Jason Tatum is sadly right now a man on an island without having anyone in his corner right now at this rate. And again, the Celtics faltering and getting hammered once more by the Brooklyn Nets. 141-126 in favor of the Brooklyn Nets, who now go up three games to one in the series. Plenty of thoughts at this rate. Casey King says the Celtics are done. James Gonzalez, Celtics are done. They shouldn't even be playing or should not even play game five in general. Taylor also says that the Nets will head to the finals with the performances like that. Again, Taylor, it's more about, like I've said though, can you keep that going though for an entire playoff stretch? Again, I know it's one series, but again, round two, round three, perhaps the NBA finals. We'll see what happens. But so far, it's looking good so far. For the Brooklyn Nets. James also says that the Nets big three has worked out so far and has proved me wrong for now. We'll see if they have any issues as the playoffs 
and the playoff opponents get tougher as time goes uh, if and as time goes on. James also adds on if the Nets don't win the finals, it'll be a major failure with all that talent on that roster. I definitely think so. You know, I kind of feel like though James right now, to me it kind of feels like for Brooklyn. Let me know folks. Is a championship or bust this season for this Brooklyn team, who, again, was kind of basically, you know, put together overnight with what looked like a magic wand. Again, Harden, Irvin, or uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, Kevin Durant, Bl uh, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, you know, all these guys. Is this season for the Nets, despite this being the first year with all these guys in place, is this championship or bust in your mind? For the Brooklyn Nets, folks, drop your uh, thoughts in the comment section. Casey agrees with me, though. He says, Cal, I would agree with you, though. I'm still very skeptical, skeptical though, about Brooklyn. But they're playing good. The Nets versus Bucks uh, being uh, will be a good series in the next round, though. Brooklyn is definitely better, though, than Boston. I think that Milwaukee actually is better than Boston as well. And James agrees, though. Cal, it's sadly just Tatum versus the world right now. And also Taylor says, don't forget, though, Cal, there's no Kemba Walker either right now for the Celtics and James agree so that yes, it is in fact championship or bust for the Brooklyn Nets here tonight. I think it is. I mean, even though this is a, that this is a first year team altogether, this definitely has the feel of this being championship or bust. And James wants that on further. When they got Harden via trade, that made it championship or bust in his mind. I definitely think it is. I, th I would even think before they got Harden, uh, James, they were building towards something great. That when they added Harden, though, it was just like, okay, now it's on. So I definitely agree, though, that it, even to me, though, it feels like this is, in fact, a championship or bust for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Back out west, folks, the Phoenix Suns staved off getting in a 3-1 hole. They were able to hold off the Lakers, who suffered both a loss in the series and also another big loss, as once again, sadly, but Anthony Davis once again leaves a game early, suffering a growing strain as the Suns hold off the Lakers 192, holding the Lakers to 15 points in the third quarter. They were able to uh, build a halftime lead and preserve it as they win 192, led by 18 points from Chris Paul, who's been battling that shoulder issue all series. Jay Crowder and Devin Booker, 17 combined points each for those two gentlemen. DeAndre Ayton with 14, and, uh, and also Michael Bridges with 11 points, and also uh, Christian Payne adding 13 off the bench. For PHX, while the Lakers only had one player, that was of course LeBron James in double figures with 25 points. But again, Anthony Davis left this game after playing in 19 minutes with uh, six points. But again, uh, left the game due to what the Lakers are calling a uh, a left growing strain in this game. And again, the Lakers uh, falling by the wayside. And I, folks, do not. I, I don't want to hear it's doom and gloom. I know that a lot of you out there want it to be doom and gloom, though. But for the Lakers, it may look to be that way. Because I kind of feel like, though, if, if the Lakers go into Game 5 on Tuesday without Anthony Davis, can you really rely, though, on LeBron James? Though he had the quote of saying that his shoulders are built to be able to, you know, uh, carry that pressure. I, I think it may, in fact, be a, leaning a bit towards doom and gloom, though. Because the Lakers will have to get major production from a lot of their guys coming off the bench or guys to step up though. And with also the one big thing I think that probably is a bit perhaps not talked about or perhaps undershadowed is no Contavious Caldwell Pope because he got hurt in game three as did Anthony Davis hurting his knee in game three. 
that the Lakers, I believe, are going to need major, major production and better outputs of scoring and more help if, in fact, Anthony Davis does not go in game five. I think that, of course, that they'll probably examine Davis over the course of tonight into Monday. And perhaps it could be, I think, literally, like Chris Paul, this could be a right-before-game-time decision if Davis feels healthy enough to play. And I think, though, that Davis, I think if he does, in fact, play, I believe, though, that this may sound stupid, but I say you got to put Davis on a minutes restriction. You can't have Anthony Davis uh, playing as many minutes as he does because at this rate, you're looking at risking further injury at this rate. And also, I think if the Lakers do, in fact, fall behind three games to two, going back to L.A., maybe. But I think if it goes to a full seven games and the Lakers survive game seven, who knows how much energy that this ball club will have left anyway in the tank to get through round two. Again, perhaps playing, you know, three, you know, playing Portland or Denver in round two and then getting perhaps behind game three. But we'll see what happens. So, but I do think, though, that a lot of this, though, I think, relies solely on game five. But also, I do have to give, uh, you know, props to the Suns for not playing dead and not rolling over. I mean, they, I think, had a much better shooting night today at Staples, and I think they played a lot better and shot the ball a lot better than how the Suns had shot the ball in Game 3. I also feel like, though, that the Lakers were just shooting the ball just to shoot the ball. The first half, I think, was a very telling sign, though, that the Lakers were not really in this game. To me, it looked like they were kind of mentally checked out for some reason. I don't know if it was because of, you know, oh, we got the lead, two to one, kind of, you know, play the, you know, kind of play some conservative ball, though. But I think, though, that even if you're a casual, you know, basketball fan, or if you don't even like the Lakers, but you're just watching this game as a fan, though, you would agree with me, though, saying, why are you taking so many outside shots and so many three-pointers? I have said that at this rate, though, and I said that today, though, to the MI6 host chat, that the Lakers cannot throw a peanut the ocean, to uh, quote the late, great Chick Hearn. The Lakers just kept settling for jump shots and threes, jump shot, three, jump shot, three, you know, get the ball in, you know, get a rebound and jack up a shot with, you know, 20 to go on the shot clock. There was no movement on the offensive end. There was no, and I think that the Lakers, you know, you know why the Lakers won game three? Because they pounded the crap out of the ball in the paint. But this game, they chose to go the other way, go back to old habits in game one, and they elected to basically, you know, settle for the mid-range jumpers. But the Lakers, of course, I think they have a mismatch. They had a mismatch with LeBron and AD over eight, and also, I think, over other, you know, even other, uh, even over other big men on the Suns. But the Lakers, I think, though, if they want to win game five, stop settling for shots away from the paint. You know, pound it inside, bully ball, whatever you call it with the Lakers. But that's why I think the Lakers have, you know, lost today was that their their shot selection was so piss poor today. They Again, you know, jumpers, you know, elbow jumpers, three-pointers, you know, all the flashy passes and the pizzazz and the turnovers, that's not going to win you games. I mean, yeah, you're the you, yeah, you're the defending champs, though, but this team is nowhere close right now, in my mind, to getting back to the finals or even winning the damn thing because of the injury problems, but also, again, just like this very, like, up and down, you know, you know turn it off, turn it on, mentality right now. I don't like how the Lakers are playing right now, and I don't like how they played today, though, because their offense was basically gone goodbye. Even before Davis left this ballgame again with all the, you know, unnecessary jumpers, unnecessary threes, you know, work it inside, you know, drive the lane, you know, if, and, you know, that's all I can really ask for. And also, 
That's why you won game three in the first place. You were going inside like every other possession. It was a lob to AD, lob to LeBron, you know, Schroeder driving in, and they went away from that game plan. I think the Lakers have got to buckle down and go back to driving it inside and also get guys into foul trouble. You know, I, you know, I think that's also why the Lakers won this game as well in game three because they got Crowder in foul trouble, Booker in foul trouble. I mean, you got to go inside and you have got to get in there and basically punish the Suns inside when you have that mismatch going in your favor. But again, it's all about the Suns tonight holding off the Lakers charge 192. But again, the Lakers losing both the game and also losing Anthony Davis due to a growing issue he suffered in this ballgame. And his status right now is currently to be determined for game number five back in Phoenix or uh, uh, in Phoenix coming up on uh, coming up on Tuesday. Plenty of thoughts about the Lakers' loss tonight against the uh, Phoenix Suns. James first said that didn't seem like Booker did much uh, for Phoenix, but Crowder did his part and more. But also, I think, though, James, Crowder wasn't baited like he was in Game 3 to being suckered into fouls and stuff like that. He played a better, much more composed game and didn't let, like, fouls get in his head or let players get in his head, though. He played a heck of a ball game tonight, and Devin Booker didn't have his best game today. I think he still helped out, though, in, in certain areas. And also, James says that the Suns bench of the Suns bench was absolutely amazing. Again, I had a very, a very efficient night uh, shooting the ball. Taylor also says that the uh, Suns had better take the series, though. If they win game five, again, I think that, 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 it, that it's possible, Taylor. But again, is that playoff experience, though, for a team like the Suns, who has not been there in 11 years, Will it be able to finish off the big, bad Lakers? I personally still don't see it happening, but they have a golden chance, though, if, in fact, that Davis is out in Game 5 to take the to, to, to uh, take that 3-2 lead. But, again, will that experience, though, of not being in the postseason for 11 years for majority of this ball club or certain players on the Phoenix Suns, minus Paul and Crowder and some other guys, though, will that hurt them? I think it does hurt them in a way, though, but I do believe, though, if, uh, if, in, fact, that they, if in fact, they get Game 5, they have a very good chance to close out in Game 6. James also adds on, I got to imagine that LeBron is gonna is going all out with or without Anthony Davis. I do, in fact, think, though, that it, he's going to have to be. I mean, uh, and I think it would be the same way, James, it was vice versa. If LeBron was out and AD was fully healthy, it'd be the same exact way going on as well. James also says that AD sadly falls so much, where, again, that wear and tear of him falling, I think, is a very big thing, though. And also, but again, though, I think as well, though, James, when you're, when you're a big fella like Davis, 6'10", 6 11, I think you're kind of expecting to get knocked down a lot, though, whether it's taking, uh, trying to take charges, uh, going up for shots and taking the contact to get the foul, though, that wear and tear does, in fact, add up. Casey also says that, well, the Lakers series is going seven in his mind. And with AD hurting, this could hurt the Lakers. LeBron can't win without Anthony Davis and vice versa. I still pick the Lakers in seven and I'm going to stick to it. But it's going to be tough and a supporting cast and the Lakers is going to have to step up and they cannot be going into Higgins route or down the Higgins route in game five. They, I mean, they can't. They, they really cannot. And again, the Lakers just can't go into how they had played today. Again, you got to go back to game three's game plan. Pound the paint and get and get guys on the Suns in foul trouble. James also says that AD is playing as long as he can, in my opinion. Without him, the Lakers don't have a chance unless CP3 is hurt again. And he also says that LeBron will have to probably score 50, to be honest, for the Lakers to win a ball game at this rate. And also, Casey says uh, that, uh, guys, the Suns are a good team and you can't take them for granted. I think, though, Casey, my point I made earlier in the week, though, 
they're out proving why they're the two seed and that this was no fluke that they won 51 games this year. So they're definitely not a rollover play dead ball club. And again, they are the two seed for a reason in the Western Conference. And also, James says that once AD left the game, the Laker players look de uh, looked defeated. I definitely agree, though, James. And something like I said, though, a lot, though, man, the psyche, the mental game becomes that much tougher, though, when you see one of your brothers go down and they get hurt. That's where things get hurt or uh, that's where things get bad. And also, James says, uh, post up LeBron, and he should kick it out to shooters if you need to shoot from deep. But again, but but again, though, James, like I said, though, can you trust the Laker three? You know, the Lakers shooters to make threes when they had a terrible day shooting from beyond the yard today. Where again, they just cannot hit anything. And again, I, I would probably say, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a double edged sword. But I would probably just say, pound it inside and go from there. And also, uh, our good man Anthony Rablejo checks in saying, join WWE commentary with the exciting voice you have. Uh, I used to do fake matches with my stuffed animals when I was a kid. Uh, so I used to do that as well. And also, Anthony says that Isaiah does say hi as well. And Casey King says, maybe Isaiah cursed the Lakers. Wouldn't put it past him. And James also says that I have to believe that Chris Paul or having Chris Paul helps your playoff chances. I do think so. But again, though, James... I still want to though about, you know, that injury perhaps though, again, is that, you know, will that shoulder hold up though for at least two, three more, you know, two more games. But again, it is the Suns holding off the Lakers tonight from Staples Center. Final score once more again, 192 Phoenix over the Lakers here tonight. And also Anthony chimes back in to say, Devin Booker is the best player in the series, at least for the Suns he is. I don't know about the entire series, but I think though he's had a great series so far. Finally, folks, in the NBA, the L.A. Clippers have gotten off the canvas and have gotten back in the series, taking both games in Dallas, 106-81 in favor of the L.A. Clippers over the Dallas Mavericks. This series is now tied two games apiece and heading back to L.A. for game number five. Big night again for Kawhi Leonard, 29 points for Kawhi, 20 for Paul George, 10 for Nicholas Batum, and 15 for Reggie Jackson. As of that, the Clips get both games on the road down in Dallas, while again, the uh, Mavericks had a very rough night, though, from Luka Doncic and also from Chris Tapps, Porzingis. Uh, Doncic with 19 points leading the way. Porzingis with 18. And Tim Hardaway Jr. has four, while uh, uh, Finney Smith only has eight in the game. And the Mavericks have uh, reopened the door and let the Clippers back into the series with them winning 106-81. Uh, Folks, this is a very, very interesting series now that I know I said, you know, oh, the Clippers are done after game one. They're down, you know, they're done for game two, though. This to me just looks like this to me looks to be the series though that uh, looks to be the series where it's going to be very hard for a team to win a home game at this rate right now because we've seen Dallas win both games in LA now both games won by the Clippers on the road you know where is the home court advantage you know you know where is the home court advantage and right now both teams have not been able to uh, you know win on the you know win a home game yet. But now I think this is where things get very, you know, this is where things get intriguing, though. A 2-2 series tie. And again, no one's won a home game yet. So I think that it really, I think, boils down, though, to game five. If the Mavericks win game five and go back to Dallas leading 3-2, this is going to be very, very interesting. Because we may have a series, folks, where literally the home team may not win one single game. And I think today, though, sadly, uh, I know that we heard the uh, news, though, uh, about uh, Luka Doncic playing this game with a very, very, uh, you know, painful neck issue right now that he's been playing with. Again, and he did look bothered 
by that issue here today and by that neck stinger, that neck injury he's had. And again, he was also minus 16 today and plus minus 50. Again, he only has 19 points for Dallas. But now, though, this is going to be a very interesting series, though, again. Could you imagine, folks, if this series goes seven games and literally not one single game gets won by the home team in the series? So that, that may well very well happen. But again, it's all about the Clippers holding off the Mavericks uh, tonight, 106-81 in favor of the L.A. Clippers here tonight over the Dallas Mavericks. And James agrees with me. He says, Cal, Luca was in pain the whole game. But man, credit to him for playing through the pain. Again, I think he has a very severe neck injury right now or like a neck stinger he's having or like a stiff neck basically and hopefully he'll be all right uh james also says the clippers look like they should be playing woken up now and charging forward and also he says it's a three game series now with a team having to win two games to move on and then casey king agrees saying that boy the clippers have uh, sure proved me wrong this weekend now the series could go either way at this rate i still like dallas because dallas has proven to get the job done on the road and also that the Mavericks, I don't know. I mean, I I think I think a lot of it, though, still lies solely on Luka. You know, I, I'm going to ride Luka for the whole series here. If, if he can overcome this, this neck stinger, this neck issue, I like Dallas's chances, though. But again, Dallas has already proven that they can win on the road. So, okay, both teams have proven that they can win on the road. If the, if the pattern continues... Dallas wins game five. So I'm still going to ride with Dallas and ride with the Mavericks at this rate. But again, the Clippers win 106-81 over the uh, Mavericks. And again, we have ourselves a 2-2 series uh, heading back into uh, L.A. for game number five uh, coming up on Tuesday. Some big uh, news, folks, over in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks and the Atlanta Falcons have begun the process of discussing a trade for Julio Jones. Per ESPN sources earlier on Sunday, the Falcons are still continuing, uh, continuing to field calls for uh, from teams for Julio Jones. The Seahawks have uh, have had discussions about a potential trade with the uh, with Atlanta for the receiver, per ESPN's Diana Russini. Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson and Jones have been in touch, having phone conversations to discuss the possibility of playing together per uh, Russini's uh, uh, reports for uh, for ESPN. Seattle already boasts a great number of talented wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who each had 10 touchdown receptions and more than 1,000 yards last season. Sources also tell Rusini on, or told her on Thursday that ATL is looking for a future first-round draft pick on the table for Julio Jones. Atlanta has also asked teams that they have inquired about Jones for a first-round draft pick in return, uh, per Adam Schefter's report last Monday. But the Seahawks, though, do not have a first-round pick next year as they dealt that to the Jets for safety Jamal Adams last season. Of course, though, folks, the rumor mill, though, uh, about Jones began, though, last month when GM uh, Terry uh, Fontenant uh, told reporters his team would be taking calls for the all-pro receiver. Then, of course, on Monday, Jones said, I'm out of here. When asked about the Falcons in a telephone call with FS1, Shannon Sharp on the network's Undisputed Show, but unclear whether Jones knew the phone call was being televised on television that day. One other team that has, in fact, reached out per Rossini is the Tennessee Titans, perhaps also reaching out to the Atlanta Falcons. Folks, I believe, though, that Atlanta is going to have to get a lot in return here for Julio Jones. Now, Seattle, I think, could make sense, though. But again, I think the Seahawks have got to stop with the with getting the flat with getting the flashy receivers and go the route of some offensive line help to protect Russell Wilson. 
I think minus Joe Burrow last season, I think that Russell Wilson was probably going to be the most sacked quarterback last season. I think that if, I mean, it would be great for Seattle to get him. I don't like the move. I think you got to get some better guys on off on the offense line. And maybe I think patch up the defense a little bit, though. But again, folks, give us your thoughts here uh, real quick at this rate. Uh, he also says um, that uh, James uh, says that funny how the Seahawks wasn't one of the teams mentioned in trade rumors until recently. Christy Wilson says if Jones goes to Seattle, they could be a more dangerous team on offense. I, I agree, Christy, but at the same time, though, I want to see it. I want to see Seattle build a better line around Russell Wilson. I hate seeing this guy getting plastered every single time. It seems to me, again, in that playoff game against the Rams, he was basically a moving target out there against the Rams defense in the postseason. Got to get more offensive line help. I don't like the idea of them getting more um, uh, more receivers. James also says that forget it, Julio Jones should just go to New England instead. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, can Belichick and, uh, you know, can Bill Belichick, someone in a way, pull off another, you know, amazing trade perhaps? Who knows? James says, I can definitely see Tennessee trading for Jones, but not the Baltimore Ravens. Again, I think that Tennessee could use a uh, could use a weapon. I think that more so I'd go Tennessee and then, uh, you know, Tennessee, Baltimore, Seattle is like a tie for second place right now. Christy agrees with me, uh, uh, Christy agrees with me though, saying that the offensive line is more important for the Seahawks because uh, Russell Wilson is getting killed out there. I definitely think that the O-line is more of a emphasis right now than the defensive, uh, than the uh, quarterback and also then the uh, receiving core, and also Casey says that he has, he's also heard about the uh, Titans perhaps inquiring. We did, in fact, hear that. But again, folks, uh, sources are saying, again, that right now that it could, in fact, be uh, Julio Jones to Seattle, perhaps, at this rate uh, for the uh, trade perhaps happening at this point in time here today. But again, folks, uh, give us your thoughts here again. Uh, you know, where do you probably perhaps see uh, him perhaps going uh, at this rate? And at this uh, point in time, uh, with uh, the entire part of the uh, uh, potential trade here uh, at this rate uh, as well, folks. We are going to, in fact, step aside here. We have a bit more of a, uh, we have more from that developing story that we broke earlier in the show in regards to the uh, Celtic fan being thrown out of the, uh, uh, being arrested for throwing the water bottle. We do, in fact, have some more news, and here it is. Again, folks, a developing story that we broke at the top of the show tonight. But again, uh, we had uh, reported to you again that a, a Celtics fan tonight was arrested in uh, Boston after, again, uh, hurling a water bottle in the direction of uh, Nets player Kyrie Irving after the uh, game tonight uh, on Sunday in Boston. Uh, folks, I wanted to read a couple of thoughts here uh, that actually came uh, from this story uh, from Danny Ainge uh, of the uh, Celtics, the president of basketball ops said via a radio, uh, radio interview earlier in the week, so I guess so right before the series here, that he had never heard any players say that they had uh, dealt with any racism issues as a member of the Celtics in the past. Now, Ainge did say this on Thursday per 98.5, the sports hub in Boston, quote, that I think that we have to take these things seriously. I've never heard of anything of that caliber from any player that I've ever played with in my 26 years in Boston. I've never heard that before from Kyrie, and I talked to him quite a bit, so I don't know as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't matter. We're just playing basketball, and players can say what they want, close quote. Now, folks, a bit more about, so, so more so, this is adding a bit more to the context here 
about some other uh, issues between uh, Celtic fans more so than anybody else right now, but more so about Celtic fans kind of getting out of control. Sunday's bottle-throwing incident was not the first time, though, uh, or not first incident between players and fans in Boston. Two years ago, inside a TD Garden, a fan was given a two-year ban for yelling a racial slur directed at DeMarcus Cousins while he was with the Warriors back uh, back in January of 2019. But Celtics said via a statement at the time in 2019 that in the course of this investigation, we were able to, con uh, 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 able to conclude that the fan had uh, been verbally abusive toward the uh, Golden State bench, but none of the in interviewed parties were able to verify the use of the language or racially, racially offensive language and video evidence uh, provided uh, pr uh, proved to be inconclusive, close quote. They also said, though, via, uh, via the statement, that in fact that the fan was a minor at that time. And the Celtics also said that based on their investigation that the uh, fan would be banned for two years and that net star uh, Kevin Durant, who was with the Warriors, uh, Warriors uh, during that time, again, also said his quote, though, uh, at the point of uh, a, a full quote, folks, actually, that came from Kevin Durant. Though, again, we showed part of his quote earlier in the show tonight. Uh, but Durant's full quote, though, reads that uh, fans got to grow up at some point. I know that being in the house for a year and a half with the pandemic going uh, got a lot of people on the edge, got a lot of people stressed out. But when you come to these games, you have to realize that these men are human. And then it also goes into the uh, point, though, that we also talked about as well uh, with this uh, quote as well from Kevin Durant, though, that he also said, though, that we're not in the circus. Uh, your mother would uh, would not be proud of you throwing water bottles at basketball players, grow the bleep up and enjoy the game. It's bigger than you. But again, just kind of adding on a bit more to the uh, story, again, uh, in regards to that ongoing uh, issue from the game on Sunday. Uh, James also says that in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Celtics fans just, uh, Celtic fans just did not like their black players, even Bill Russell. And James, I, I, James, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, but I remember Tory Hunter, uh, Angel Outfielder, Twin Outfielder, saying, in a, uh, saying post his retirement that whenever he had a contract, he put a no trade clause into Boston for that exact reason. So again, folks, it was a bit more added on to the story again about the Celtics fan once more. But the uh, Celtics uh, again had to uh, arrest a fan after the game on Sunday after a water bottle was hurled in the direction of Kyrie Irving following the game tonight per Malika Andrews and Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com. And also that the uh, TD Garden spokesperson said via statement that in fact that the uh, guests will be subject to a potential lifetime ban from TD Garden events because of uh, the hurled water bottle in the direction of Kyrie Irving. Also, Christy Wilson says that Boston sports fans are incredibly pa are incredibly passionate about their sports teams. They are, but I think, though, Sally, again, Christy, that again, that whole fine line thing, again, these guys are human. I know that people want to criticize athletes all the time. But again, there is that fine line where, again, you know, there's one thing to to jeer and have the banter, but there's also when you kind of stoop to that low level again of the slurs, throwing beer, throwing water, popcorn, soda, pretzels, pizza, you name it again. I, I Again, I don't condone any of that nonsense, regardless. And James says, oh, yeah, Red Sox fans are bad with this. Adam Jones a few years ago. Um, it happened with Adam Jones as well a few years ago with a slur, and I believe he had a banana thrown in him, too at that game as well in Boston. But again, folks, we'll keep an eye on that story, though, as more time does, in fact, go on here today. With that, folks, a Memorial Weekend tradition unlike any other. The Indy 500 ran uh, earlier on Sunday from the famed Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Sunday. And Spider-Man has done it again, folks. Helio Castroneves, 
takes the lead late and wins the Indy 500 for the fourth time, joining a very small list of racers to win the coveted Indy 500 uh, for the fourth time in his career. You know, folks, I tuned in for a bit today. Uh, great to see, you know, a full crowd uh, at Indianapolis uh, today. Uh, no weather issues, a balmy, great Sunday full of sun and full of a full house. And I think there was well of folks. Helio Nevis, I think, though, I think has got to be like one of the top, you know, for, you know, uh, IndyCar racers probably of our time. Again, 46 years old and joins a very small group of, 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 uh, of, uh, of IndyCar racers to win the coveted event four times. Again, three other people have won this thing, though. And the final 15 laps was so intriguing because you didn't want to turn away from it. I know that there was other games going on, but I did flip over to watch, though, and to see that Castro Nimbus, though, this guy never gave up, you know, and this was a race that boiled down, of course, to the final 10. You know, it, again, it gets very intriguing, though, in the last 15 laps, though. But I don't know, though, if I've seen so many guys or so many people in NASCAR or in Formula One or IndyCar racing. I don't recall, though, seeing a lot of uh, teams elect to go the route of the pit stop that late in a race, though, especially, I think, though, I think, I think the leader at one point jumped ship and went to the pit, came right back down and retook the lead. But the final four laps, though, was when this thing got extremely, extremely good. And then Castro Nevis, though, finally got free because, you know, I, I, it got a little bit hairy, though, because I think if you folks were watching, I always kind of dread the final few laps, though, because, yeah, it's like down to the wire. But then it gets a bit tr rough, though, because you have all the people or all the uh, all the other drivers who are well behind the field. Someone in a way, though. Inter like kind of in a way interfering a little bit as you come down the final stretch run and I kind of get nervous because like you know if these guys cause a wreck you know we may have a massive issue on our hands here but Helio Castro Nevis though folks it boiled down to the final two laps because it was absolutely insane though that Helio takes the lead with about two laps to go and he never looked back I mean he literally won this thing won this thing with flying colors but again, I kind of, though, want to put, maybe not really blame, though, I think, kind of say the reason why Cash Nimbus won, won this race, I think, was some very bad times or bad, you know, or I think just, you know, bad management by certain crew, uh, by certain crews who elected to let their drivers take a pit stop for tires or to change the fuel out that late in the race. I think that some teams may have perhaps had it backfire. But it's no, I, I I think that mainly I don't want to you know say that you know that Helio only won it because of all that though. I do think though it was sadly some poorly timed mismanagement I think by some crews today with why we saw this race go down to how it was though. I think though that Helio Castro folks again forty six years old and again Helio joins a very small group of uh, of drivers to win the Indy five hundred four times in their career. But again, congrats to uh, Helio and again seeing Spider Man once again. Climbing the fence at the uh, Indy 500 again, kissing the bricks, and again winning his fourth Indy 500 race here today. Also, James says uh, you could have told me Isaiah won the Indy 500 today, and I wouldn't have believed you. That's my fault because I never batted an eye today to the race. I knew it was on James, but again, I only tune in though at this rate. That you know, I, I think anyone agrees though. I mean, I could probably get through the first few laps, but I can't watch it. I can't watch the whole race in its entirety. I can't watch golf in its entirety either. But I think, though, you always turn it on, though, for the final 10, 15, 20 laps when it kind of gets good, though. 
And I tune in at the right time, though. And again, I I, I think, though, that the the, the, the the jubilation for Helio Cash and Emmys to win this race today on Sunday and to see the jubilation and also see him, you know, uh, again, how this win meant to him, though, in regards to, you know, joining that small group again. He's the uh, fourth driver to win it four times. But also, I think as well, though, without having fans at the last race, though, again, with the pandemic going on and, you know, no fans could be at the last race or it was canceled and things like that, though. And seeing the full and seeing a full house, there, I think, seeing, seeing, the, seeing the crowd at the Indy 500, though, I think, just made Helio's victory for me a bit more uh, enjoyable because of that going on. And also, James says that sadly, a motorcycle racer passed away today. Such a dangerous profession. It's it's beyond crazy, man. And, you know, I give a lot, you know, and I give all those, you know, action sports uh, athletes, uh, motorcycle riders, you know, skateboarders, skiers, uh, you know, NASCAR and IndyCar. You know, I give all those people so much love and respect. Because, again, that's a very dangerous profession. And again, it's all about the entertainment value. But again, folks, congrats. What's more to Spider-Man, Helio Castroneves, your 2021 Indy 500 champion here on this Sunday. Uh, here today is, again, Helio wins it with a late uh, surge at the end and, in fact, wins the, th uh, wins the race today and, again, joins the very small group of drivers who have won the Indy 500, uh, Indy 500 race uh, four times in their careers. Also, folks, in some uh, other news in international soccer, but the uh, but the C O N M E B O L, <laughs> which is the South American Football Confederation, uh, said on Sunday that Argentina will no longer be hosting the uh, the upcoming Copa America tournament, throwing the troubled soccer tournament into doubt just 13 days before it was due to kick off due to ongoing COVID 19 issues. The tournament, in uh, featuring uh, 10 South American clubs. Had been uh, uh, had been due to be held in Argentina and Colombia from June 13th to July 10th, the first time in, a, in the first time in its 105 year history with joint hosts. However, sadly, Colombia was removed as a co-host on May 20th after a wave of protests demanding social and economic change spread across the country, and Argentina has now followed suit due to what the federation is calling the present circumstances, which does which uh, which of course does in fact. Um, uh, which is, in fact, linked, though, to COVID-19, though. But, however, though, the Federation did not disclose the nature of the circumstances of why the uh, tournament was uh, canceled. But it is due to what they are calling, again, present circumstances, but also a rising surge in COVID-19 cases. They also did say that it, that updates would be available soon for the uh, rescheduling of the tournament for the Copa America in Argentina. You know, folks, sadly, COVID is still... You know, is still rearing its ugly head. I mean, we're very close, though. But I know that, of course, though, folks, that right now a lot of these major events going on. And James is right, though. The one event I think that we all I think are very concerned about still is the Olympics. And I and I do, though, folks, James think though that this may have to just become a case though where any big international event like this has got to be moved to next year. And I think though, James, I'd love for that to happen. Because I would love to see, but some the I, I I think we would love to see it. Let's do it next year: Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics in the same damn year. Twenty twenty two could be the year of the Olympics and 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 all about you know all that going on. But again, folks, uh, tough news for soccer fans uh, out there. But again, the Copa America has in fact been postponed and suspended by the South American Football Confederation due to uh, issues both in uh, Colombia due to ongoing protests for social and economic change. 
and also present circumstances in Argentina, which is uh, which again has been uh, uh, basically uh, highlighted by a surge in COVID nineteen cases across the country. And also, James agrees with his best Mike Mike Breen impersonation by saying "bang" in regards to uh, having the Olympics, uh, both summer and Olympic games being held, uh, summer and winter games being held next season, perhaps. A couple of stories, folks, from the NHL. Again, the uh, postseason is still going on, but right now at this rate, uh, per NHL sources, uh, the NHL and health uh, authorities are now beginning to work on a travel exemption that would allow the winner of the All-Canadian Division and the American opponent to cross the border during the last two rounds of the, uh, of the postseason, including the Stanley Cup final per a report uh, obtained by the Canadian press. The exemption would let teams enter Canada for games without having to quarantine for 14 days, as it currently is required for uh, non-essential travelers because of the ongoing pandemic per the CP. Citing two people in the federal government who spoke on condition of being anonymous because they were not authorized to speak publicly. The NHL has been trying to work to approve uh, securing approval from public health officials in the provinces and cities that still have teams in the postseason, which includes Winnipeg, Toronto, and Montreal, again, sources telling the CP. Final approval, though, rests with the federal immigration minister, uh, Marco uh, Men, uh, Men uh, Decino. In an interview, an email to, uh, to the Canadian press, the NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly said the effort was a work in progress. Regardless, the winner of Monday night's game seven between Montreal and Toronto will play Winnipeg in the North Division final with the winner going to the American Division or at least going to the conference final. Cross-border travel has been essentially non-existent this year because of the ongoing pandemic. And last summer, the NHL ended their season with the bubble playoff in both Toronto and in Edmonton. Folks, this has been the really big talking point about how in the world is the NHL, you know, probably the most, uh, at this rate, the most, you know, uh, cross-border travel league in America, in North American sports because of the number of teams right now being played in the in the league right now with 31 teams and again uh, six of those teams being up in Canada and now I think that it's becoming to become a bit a bit more clear that now we kind of get a sense though of you know no 14 you know you know no two weeks though but I do think though that it, it's still I think though is a little bit concerning maybe a little bit in some people's minds though that now we're going to finally let cross-border travel resume though but I do think though that Canada I think you know, again, what, whatever you believe, folks, about the pandemic, though, I think that Canada has done their damnedest to, to, to keep this, you know, somewhat at bay. And I know, of course, this probably has sucked, though, for fans in Toronto, in Winnipeg, and in Montreal, and in Edmonton to not be able to go to games this year, though. But I do think, though, that the NHL can make this work, though. I really thought, though, that maybe that there could have been a ordeal done, basically, to maybe once you got to the conference final, make it into a bubble environment. I know that you've been playing games all year in your home markets, but again, though, with the just the nature of the, you know, of the travel and the nature right now, again, having to perhaps cross that closed border. But if they can get that exemption, though, folks, if the, if the, if the NHL gets that exemption, if they get that exemption, I have got to believe, though, that eventually that the Blue Jays ask for an exemption, and so does Toronto FC. I think, and, and I think that eventually that the Blue Jays and Toronto FC have, have got to get that exemption. I would think that at this rate, though, that if the NHL gets this done, though, I could totally see the Blue Jays and Toronto FC saying, wait a second, w wait, wait, wait a second here. 
Why are you allowed to get an exemption? But why can't we get an exemption to play our home games in Canada? So again, folks, I think it's kind of a little bit of a like double-edged sword or a ticky-tack situation. But I think though the NHL will make this work. But I do think though that they're probably going to be having to perhaps monitor the situation and maybe get things back up to snuff though. But it's it this is at least though, folks, the first major uh, first major you know positive step forward though of hey now we're going to be going into having teams travel across the border like we're getting back to normalcy very very shortly but again folks nhl is in fact working on a plan to be able to travel across the border and uh open things up at this rate some uh, small spattering of thoughts here in regards to uh thoughts about this at this rate james says it would just would not seem right without the canadian teams competing for the stanley cup with christy agreeing and also james says a can a uh, club from canada has not won the stanley cup in years i think and also, Christy says, and I agree, just so that the NHL can make things work. And yes, James, last time that a Canadian team won the Cup, 1993 Montreal over the Kings. Thank you, Marty McSorley, for that. One final story here, folks, tonight for the night shift on this Sunday. Peter DeBoer, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, is not second-guessing his decision to start goaltender Robin Liner in Game 1 of the second round, despite Liner being hung out to dry in a 7-1 loss in Game 1 to the uh, number 1 seed and President's Trophy winning Colorado Avalanche on Sunday night at Ball Arena in Denver. Vegas started Marc-Andre Fleury throughout the entire first-round series against Minnesota, including Friday's Game 7 win at T-Mobile Arena. Fleury posted a 9-3-1 save percentage through that series, though, while Liner has not played a game since, March uh, since May 10th. DeBoer uh, said... Uh, that the decision uh, to go with Robin was Flower just played seven games in 14 days in an emotional game seven. It was a perfect opportunity in our minds to use another uh, to use our other starter. That's been a strength of ours all year. We wanted Robin to get in the game and stay sharp in case we need him. So there, uh, so there was a lot of rationale to it. Close quote. Vegas indeed had a quick turnaround while Colorado had a week off between games thanks to the Avalanche's four game sweep of of, of St. Louis, and it showed as the Avalanche looked much fresher on home ice on Sunday. Vegas only got 14 shots on goal in the first period, or allowed 14 shots on goal in the first period, despite averaging just 9.4 shots on goal in the first period against the Wild in the series. And Liners uh, faced 37 shots and only stopped 30 in the ballgame. DeBoer also said that the game tonight was not about Robin Liner. We didn't play uh, well enough in front of him, close quote. You know, folks, this is the wrong time to start messing up with your team's mojo. This, I believe, is, a, this could be a death nail, that Peter DeBoer would go the route of not playing Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, the guy that got you into the spot in the first place. And, and, and by the way, you are playing the number one seed and the best, and the President's Trophy winner. This is not the time to start, you know, you know, oh, let's, you know, let's, you know, I, I, okay, I get the rest. I get that he played all seven games in 14 days versus Minnesota. But you need your best guys out there. And again, Vegas is playing, you know, this is an up, this is a major uphill battle. You're playing Colorado, the number one seed in the conference, and the president's trophy winner with the best overall record. And at the same time, though, you're playing probably the most lethal forward lineup in the NHL. Landeskog, McKinnon, McCarr, you know, I mean, you know, Colorado's offense. You know, they're no pushover, you know, and they will make you look silly. And I think that tonight they'll prove, though, that Colorado, 
definitely, in fact, made the Vegas Golden Knights look silly for going the route of playing uh, DeBork uh, or playing uh, uh, Leonard tonight, though. And again, Peter DeBoer having to face the music, though. And again, also the fact, though, that DeBoer doesn't pull the goalie to put in Flurry as a, you know, in a backup role. That to me reminds me way too much of Patrick Wall with the Canadiens way back in the day when he got left in to give up all 10, uh, 10 goals uh, to the uh, Red Wings that night. That this is not the time to start messing up your mojo. You know, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I do think that we will, that we will in fact, see Flurry in game two. Because I do think, though, that if Vegas is down 2-0, even going back home to that, you know, that amazing venue in Vegas, they're in trouble because Colorado, this offense does not have any holes. Again, Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen. You know, these are not, you know, these three guys that I listed, they, they will make you pay. And tonight they made they made the uh Knights pay for I, I think probably the stupidest move of the postseason to sit, you know, flurry, you know, a bona fide Stanley Cup champion in, in Pittsburgh, and who literally single-handedly got them to the cup final their first year. This is not the time to start messing up with your team's mojo. And I hope that DeBoer, you know, goes back to Fleur. I think, though, if he goes back to Leonard in game two, and if if he goes around again in game two, there's got to be a very short leash on Leonard. If he, if he gives up one, two, maybe three at most, I, I'd say if he gives up two at most, if they go with Leonard in game two, you've got to pull him. There is no way that you should be going the route of changing up your you know, changing anything. Now, I think, though, but sadly, that tonight's game is also very much um, further impacted because of Ryan Reeves being the goon that he is out there and racking, racking up some major penalty minutes, though, which really, in fact, gave Colorado that chance to just, you know, bury Vegas right away, though. But I think, though, that for Peter DeBoer's sake, you've got to go back to Mark andre uh, Fleury. This is not the time to be going the route of trying to get your backup goalie minutes. And trying to get him, you know, to to keep to keep him sharp again. You know, he, uh, you know, like I said though, Flurry played all seven games. Robin Leinert has not played a game since May tenth. What are you doing, man? May tenth until and then you and you literally have a guy playing all seven games. Uh, no, <laughs> this if they fall behind two nothing, it's all but over because Colorado's offense they're not going to be having any rough nights at the office again with Landis Scog with Rantanen. You know, and all those guys, Colorado, I think, is poised to, to probably get to the cup final, perhaps win the damn thing. But Vegas, this is not your time to be tinkering and changing things up because you want to get a guy playing time. Again, he has not played since May 10th. Come on now. Also, some thoughts real quick. Casey King agrees that the Avs, I believe, are going to be the team to beat this year. They definitely are. Again, with that lethal offense. I don't see anybody slowing this team down. I thought that Vegas could have perhaps been that team to slow them down, maybe knock them out. But after the tonight's game and after that despicable move by Peter DeBoer, I think Vegas is done, honestly, at this rate. James also says, isn't Marc-Andre Fleury better? Ha ha, there's a jealousy somewhere in this. And you know what, though, James? That was talked about a lot last season when Peter DeBoer came in after they fired Gerard Gallant last season, that there's a beef that we don't know about between Peter DeBoer and Marc-Andre Fleury. I, I even believe that Fleury's agent put a photo out on, uh, put a photo out, I think, on Instagram after the Knights got knocked down in the playoffs last season that had a picture of Marc-Andre, of his of Fleury, with all these swords in his back, like kind of being stabbed in the back by his head coach. So I believe that there's definitely some, there's something going on there. 
And I don't know how much longer Flurry has left in the tank, though, with all of his time playing in Pittsburgh. I, I, I don't I don't see how this relationship I, I think honestly, James, if 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 Colorado knocks out Vegas, as I think that they're probably going to, I don't see Marc Andre Fleury coming back, honestly. Because that rip between DeBoer and and him and his agent is just getting is just it, it's growing. It's it's being stretched out like a rubber band very, very slowly. And I think that as in fact that more time goes on with this whole this whole snafu, I don't expect Flurry back in Vegas anytime soon. James says, I don't know too much about the NHL, but man, that's a bonehead decision. And Christy says, uh, tinkering, tinkering with your goalie is not a good idea, especially when, it, when going up against a team like the Avalanche. Again, seven goals tonight for Colorado. And again, Rantanen, Landeskog, McKinnon. I mean, all bets are off. I do, in fact, think this is all about Colorado at this rate. And uh, James says, this sounds like it's about 20 years ago when he said the Avs are great. I mean, those teams that were, I mean, even 20 years ago, I mean, Bork, Sackick, Forsberg, Waugh, I mean, some Adam Foote, some, you know, some great, great guys on those uh, Avalanche teams back in the day. Casey says, I picked Colorado to win it all before the season started, and I'm sticking to it. Vegas went Higgins route on their goalie situation in round one. He also says, if Vegas does not start flurry in game two, and they end up uh, getting swept, DeBoer should be fired. They should not have fired Gerard Gallant. Casey, I would think that... I mean, I don't know about a sweep, though, but it could, in fact, be inevitable if they go down two games to none, even if they go back home, that they're going to be in trouble. And James says, man, this sounds like the Tom Brady situation a bit. Not a lot, but a little bit, though. But again, folks, Peter DeBoer, the head coach of the, uh, the, uh, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, is not, second, uh, is, not second, uh, is not questioning his decision to not start Marc-Andre Fleury uh, in their 7-1 loss tonight to the uh, Avalanche up in Ball Arena in Denver, Colorado. With that, though, folks, we will now wrap things up for this solo host tonight shift and go on into tonight's final thoughts. Time to wrap things up here, folks, on this Sunday night, this solo hosted edition of the night shift. A major thanks to Taylor, James, Christy, um, also Jim Gone, uh, as well, uh, Brandon Herrera, uh, Casey King. And uh, all of uh, our great uh, fans for commenting tonight and for, again, keeping us sane here tonight. Again, folks, we'll see you back here on Monday for another episode. Actually, excuse me, we'll be off air on Monday to, to observe the Memorial Day holiday. Of course, a major thank you to all of our brave men and women who, uh, who have served in the armed forces for uh, America and for any home nation at home and around the world. So if you, we will see you folks back here on Tuesday. For the night shift, or uh, actually not even for the night shift, for the sports lounge, our first actual sports program comes your way for the lounge on Tuesday, 8 o'clock Pacific time, right back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. And again, folks, as a reminder, go and check out and see our great friends over to at the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network again, Adam uh, Adam and Jason Barber, and the entire cast and crew with their uh, ongoing efforts to get their programs going again. Everything is over there, folks. We can catch them over on the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network again. Find them by just typing in Coast Coast Entertainment Network on your favorite social media platforms. But again, folks, for the entire cast and crew here from the MI6 Sports Network, yours truly, Cal McClurg, saying goodnight. We'll see you folks back here, as mentioned, on Tuesday for the Sports Lounge at 8 o'clock Pacific time, right back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. Till Tuesday, folks, goodnight and bye-bye. <laughs>